crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Chris Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. And today we're going to be continuing our series on the modern identity of the 12 tribes of Israel. For today's program, we'll be looking at the tribe of Dan. So for those who have been following the series, uh, you'll probably note that we've already covered this tribe. Uh, But for this tribe in particular, there are two different modern identities, modern nations that are tied to this ancient tribe. So as we've been covering on this program, there's, there's a lot of fascinating Bible history and prophecy relating to each of the separate so-called lost tribes of Israel, not just Israel as a whole, but the individual tribes themselves. And so the question we've been asking is, what became of these lost ten tribes after they were conquered and deported by the Assyrians. The Bible does prophesy that they would be on the world scene and that they would be recognizable by certain characteristics right up until the last days, right up until the coming of the Messiah. So they must be on the scene in this world somewhere. In our earlier program uh, on the tribe of Dan, we looked at the migration of the Western tribe of Dan. Dan was separated into two parts, uh, a western tribe and then a far northern tribe. So for today's program, we'll look at the migration of that distant northern uh, tribe, that northern division of the Danites following their Assyrian captivity. So for our new listeners, let's lay a little groundwork. In the uh, 10th century BCE, during the reign of King Rehoboam, we have uh, we have just the single kingdom of Israel, uh, but but during his reign, during Rehoboam's reign, we have the northern ten tribes splitting off and becoming known as the the northern kingdom of Israel, ruled by Jeroboam, and then the remaining tribes are ruled by Rehoboam, and they become the southern kingdom of Judah or the Jews. So all the tribes can be referred to collectively as Israelites, but only those of the kingdom of Judah were specifically identified as Jews, a short short form of the tribal name Judah. And to this day, the Jews are readily identifiable, uh, the, the descendants of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, but what happened to the northern tribes? What happened to the Israelite tribes? Now, during the 700s BCE, the the late 700s, the the northern ten-tribe nation of Israel was conquered, and they were taken captive by Assyria. The the Bible describes their deportation by Assyria up as far as northern Iran, and then the record about them stops. They become lost, shall we say, to world view. Uh, From this point on, they become known as the Lost Ten Tribes, whereas the Jews, on the other hand, the the southern kingdom of Judah, they continued to live in the Holy Land. And even after their their later Babylonian conquest, some, I think, roughly 150 years later, even following that, they continued to to be recognized and known. 
So what happened to that bulk of Israel, though, the, the lost 10 tribes? Where did they go? And for this program in particular, what happened to the northern tribe of Dan? The Bible, as, as we, we've uh, stated often on this program, the Bible prophesies about each of these tribes of Israel. Genesis 49 is a key prophetic passage about each of the sons of Jacob, what each of the tribes would look like in the last days. Verse 1 of Genesis 49, quote, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And then Jacob continues to describe the different types of people and nations that each of these tribes would become in the last days, in the end time. So these tribes have to be somewhere on the scene. If we're to believe Bible prophecy, these tribes must be somewhere on the scene. At Watch Jerusalem, we often point our readers to our book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, and that's free on our website. Uh, you, you can read it on our website. You can request a hard copy. We'll, we'll gladly send that out to you free of charge. And this book traces what happened to these lost 10 tribes of Israel. It explains how they became lost, where they went, where they are today. In this book, the author, Herbert W. Armstrong, he, he showed that following the Assyrian captivity into Iran, the northern 10 tribes from there migrated up into Western Europe and then on beyond into the British Isles and Scandinavia. His book focused, as the title suggests, it focused primarily on the two birthright tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim had been prophesied to become a great commonwealth of nations, becoming Great Britain and her commonwealth. And Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, had been prophesied to become a singular great superpower nation, the United States of America. And then, of course, as we've stated, the tribe of Judah, uh, represented by the Jews around the world, and specifically the Jewish nation of Israel in the Middle East. But what about the tribe of Dan? Going back to our earlier program in the series, uh, I believe it was our second program in the series, we discussed how the tribe of Dan is represented by modern-day Ireland. But there's more to the story. Anciently, Dan uh, was split into, as we've said, two main parts, two territories, a southwestern tribal territory and a far northern tribal territory. And in our program on Ireland, we specifically uh, covered the migration largely of these Western Danites from the from the biblical account as well as from secular history. The Danites were a seafaring tribe frequenting the Mediterranean, and they had close contact to the Greek world. This tribe struck out on their ships and migrated away separately from the rest of Israel, in large part several centuries before the Assyrian captivity and the deportation of the other Israelites. So you have this early migration uh, of Danites, and this migration trailed through the Mediterranean, uh, around the Iberian Peninsula, and up into Ireland. Ancient Irish history records the arrival of the Tuahadi Danan, or tribe of Danan, from the eastern Mediterranean at this point in time.
But that second northern tribe of Dan is what we're going to focus on today. This part tribe, I guess you could call it, uh, the sub-tribe, they continued on living in the north, far north of the Holy Land. And this tribe, this northern tribe of Dan, was taken captive by Assyria together with their surrounding tribes in the late 700s BCE. And this tribe, this northern tribe, is represented by the modern nation of Denmark. So let's crack into tracing this Danite connection to Denmark. The Danites are uh, are one of the easiest tribes to trace, and this is because they left their tribal father's name, Dan, absolutely everywhere. Genesis 49 verse 17, that that prophecy, uh, prophetic chapter about each of the tribes of Israel, it prophesies this of Dan, quote, Dan shall be a serpent by the way. Another translation reads, quote, Dan shall be a serpent's trail. And we have a real serpentine trail of names pointing to the migration of the tribe of Dan. This is shown through the the biblical movements of the tribe of Dan and also through secular history. Uh, Just to point out a couple of uh, examples of the tribe of Dan doing this from the Bible, you have Joshua 19, which describes the Danites conquering the city of Leshem and calling it Dan after their father. In Judges 18, you have the Danites conquering Kiryat Yerim and then naming it Mahanadan, meaning Camp of Dan. And then the same chapter describes the conquest of Laish and renaming that Dan. So the tribe of Dan quite literally left a trail of names, a serpent's trail of names. So in our program on Ireland, we traced that serpent's trail of those names uh, across the Mediterranean and up into Ireland with the migration of the tribe of Dan from, uh, in large part, western, uh, southwestern Israel. The tribe of Dan, the Greek Danai or Danan tribe, that migrated up into Ireland as the Tuahadi Danan or tribe of Danan. Now, Hebrew is, the Hebrew language is written without vowels. So the name Dan is literally transliterated as the English letters D-N. So this then could be translated uh, any manner of ways with, with added vowels such as Dan, Den, Din, Don, Dun. And so we have a trail of such names uh, throughout the Mediterranean and up into Ireland Uh, left, for example, in Ireland by the Irish tribe of Danan. You have Dan names all over Ireland. You have places like Danslaw, Dansoa, Dundalk, Dundrum, Donegal, Dunglo, Dingle, Dunsmore, just like in biblical times with the use of the name element Dan. And in the Irish language, the word Dun means the same as the Hebrew name, both meaning judge. And as we'll look at today, we've got the Denmark link to this. And actually, the Danish word for judge is pretty similar, uh, similar to the Hebrew and Irish, dan. It's similar in Danish as well, domer. Now, as with the serpent's trail marking of names to Ireland, we have just the same pattern for Denmark, or in the Danish language, Danmark, uh, meaning Dan's mark. 
the Serpent's Trail from the Eastern Mediterranean, or we could say Serpent's Mark, from there right up into Denmark is actually very clear, and it's identified by historians at least as far back as the 9th century. So we'll cover that as we go along in today's program. But first, let's look at how the northern tribe of Dan got established. So again, not focusing on that western tribe, but that northern tribe of Dan. Let's look at just briefly how they got established up north of Israel. Judges 18 tells the story. Uh, Internal evidence points to this Danite migration pretty early on, perhaps in the 13th century BCE, as Israel was becoming established in the Promised Land. So the tribe of Dan had territory originally on that southwestern coast alongside the Philistines, but they desired additional room for their tribe, uh, etc., and a delegation of spies was sent right up to the northern tip of Israel, and there, there they discovered pretty good territory, including an unsuspecting, peaceable city uh, named Laish. And as a result of the report of the spies, the tribe of Dan sent out 600 armed men that traveled up north. Uh, in Judges 18, you can read about an interlude in the story in which along that journey, the Danites loot a house uh, full of pagan idols, uh, loot the idols from this house of pagan worship and take them and the Levite priest with them in order to bring good fortune to their journey. And finally, they arrive at Laish and verses 27 to 29 of Judges 18 read, And they came unto Laish, unto a people quiet and secure, and smote them with the edge of the sword, and they burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Zidon, and they had no dealings with any man. And they, the Danites, built the city and dwelt therein, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father. End quote. So from this point forward, we have two separate locations for the tribe of Dan. One in the southwest along the coast, alongside the Philistines, and the other separate far north inland. And actually, through a number of biblical passages, the territory of Israel is described as being from Dan unto Beersheba. So from Dan in the north, that northern outpost of Dan, to Beersheba in the south of Israel. Deuteronomy 33 is the second prophetic passage that we turn to in these programs with relation to the 12 tribes. And there we read that Moses actually prophesied of Dan inhabiting this northern territory and then migrating far away from it. Deuteronomy 33 verse 22 prophesies this, And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp that leaps forth from Bashan, end quote. Now, Bashan was a part of this northern territory of Dan. And here we have Moses prophesying that Dan would leap away, would migrate from this northern territory. So in this passage, Dan is a lion's whelp, likened to a lion's whelp. This is a bit of an old English word. The name means a young lion, and it's the same terminology used to describe the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. And that symbolism matches well with Denmark as well, the the Danites of this northern 
Bashan location. Judah is known for lion symbolism. The lion of Judah, the prime symbol of that tribe, uh, which, which carried over into the British monarchy, who are of the royal line of Judah, featuring that royal lion of Judah symbolism. But then the lion symbol is also heavily used in Denmark. The Danish coat of arms features three lions, similar to England, uh, except for the Danish lions are a peculiar shade of blue. Uh, but, but Denmark heavily featuring the, the lion symbolism. But Dan was prophesied to leap from this area, from Bashan, from their northern territory. And that's just what happened following the Assyrian captivity. So during that that late 700s BCE, as we've covered, the Assyrians began making incursions into Israel. And then by 718, they had conquered the entire land and were deporting the Israelites en masse. But what's less well known about this time period is that the northernmost tribes were actually captured and deported earlier, perhaps about two decades earlier, by an earlier Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III. This is described in 2 Kings 15 verse 29, the invasion of this northeastern territory of Israel, uh, stating that Tiglath-Pileser carried away these Israelites captive into Assyria at this time. And then later on, the, the rest of Israel was captured by the later Assyrian king, Sargon, and then Shalmaneser. So where then, where do we trace the serpent's trail from there, from, uh, following that captivity? The Bible traces the Israelite deportation up, as we've said, as far as northern Iran, But we can pick up the continuing migration in secular history from there. Back to the United States and Britain and prophecy, Mr. Armstrong describes the serpent's trail of names left by these northern Danites as they traveled up from the Middle East following this captivity into what is modern-day Denmark. This is what page 101 of his book reads, quote, But the northern colony of Danites was taken to Assyria in the captivity, and thence with the rest of the ten tribes they traveled from Assyria by the overland route. After leaving Assyrian captivity, they inhabited for some time the land just west of the Black Sea. There we find the rivers Dnieper, Dniester, and the Don. Then, in either ancient or later geography, we find these waymarks, Dan Ao, the Dan In, the Dan Aster, the Dan Dari, the Danes, the Don, the Dan, the Udon, the Eridon, down to the Danes. Denmark means Dansmark. End of quote. So we have this trail of names of the tribe of Dan right from this area, uh, in and around the Black Sea, in which they were deported, right up into the eventual homeland. Denmark, or Danmark, as it is in Danish. Now, modern etymologists are uncertain about the origin of the name of Denmark. Uh, It's classically linked to some kind of uh, supposedly mythological King Dan. And there were a number of ancient Danish kings called Dan. You've got King Dan I of Denmark, 
us, who was supposed to have been the progenitor of the Danish royal family. You've got Dan the second, Dan the third. There's a king called Half Dan, meaning Half Dane, Half Dan. Uh, a pretty interesting name given that Denmark represents half of Dan. And then what about the famous uh, ancient Norse god of Denmark and the surrounding areas? Odin. This this ancient pagan deity was known uh, as Odin or Woden or Wodan. And could this have been some kind of deification of the tribal patriarch Dan? Here's a fun fact for you. The god Wodan, this god Odin, Wodan, is where we get the name Wednesday. The name of uh, the, the weekday, Wednesday, Woden's Day. Now, according to the 13th century Yinglinga saga, we've mentioned this on a couple of our programs, uh, written down in the 13th century, uh, this, this demigod, this Odin or Wodan, he lived with his people around the territory of the Black Sea, uh, around the Black Sea, Caspian Sea area, just north of Iran and Turkey. And he led his people, uh, according to the saga, he led his people up the Don River, searching for new land in which to settle. And they traveled on up into Germany and from there on into Scandinavia, where they settled. So you have this, this... Serpent's Trail leading right back to that uh, from Denmark, from Scandinavia, right back down into that area, uh, that general area where the Danites were deported from Israel. And uh, so, so really, the name Dan has a deep historical connection with Denmark. It's reflected in the names of their rulers. It's reflected in the names of their places the pagan national ancestor god carries that word element, that Dan word element. The whole nation, really, is marked by the name Danmark. And the ancient people themselves inhabiting the surrounding geographical area were themselves known as the Dani people, Dani. And the word Dani in Hebrew is Danite, translates to Danite, Dani. Um similar to Israeli, uh, Yehudi, Jewish. Uh, so Dani is Danite, and that's the, the people themselves that were living in Denmark, the Dani. And then there's been some early uh, documented recognition of this migration to Denmark from the eastern Mediterranean region. You might recall, again, in our earlier program on the tribe of Dan in Ireland, we, we examined the historical connection between the tribe of Dan, the Irish Danans, and the Greek Danans, who were also known as Danae. Now, the ancient Norman historian Dudo, uh, who lived in the 9th century CE, Dudo wrote that the Danes, those of Denmark, came from these Mediterranean Danae people, these same people that their ancestry, as well as their name, traces right down, right back to this ancient East Mediterranean population. So here we've got a very ancient, secular, historical link. And then, uh, to quote another, we've got the 17th century Danish historiographer called Ivor Herzholm, and he wrote that the name of Denmark and the Danes came from the Hebrew word Dan. 
So that's some detail about the migration, the migration of the Danites up into Denmark. And in these tribes programs, we uh, beyond just the migration, we also like to highlight the parallel characteristics between the ancient Israelite tribes and the modern-day nations. And the same parallels can be seen with Denmark. Judges 5 mentions Danites as being an early seafaring tribe right from the beginning. Uh, And we've looked at how this ancient historian Dudo traces Denmark's history back to the Mediterranean, back to the Danae tribe alongside the Greeks. Now, the Bible highlights the Danites and the Greeks together trading. And then you fast forward 1,500 years, and we see that Denmark, during the Viking Age, was one of the primary, very successful Nordic Viking nations, known for their skill in shipbuilding and sailing, just like the ancient tribe of Dan. And even today, fortunately, Denmark doesn't carry out Viking raids, But Denmark is the largest container ship operator in the world. And this, of course, is the Maersk Shipping Company uh, based in Copenhagen. You might have seen Maersk shipping crates uh, carried by trucks on the highway. This this multi-billion dollar Danish company has the largest fleet of container ships in the world with just under 800 vessels. So Denmark certainly retains that seafaring title, but fortunately for more peaceful means. And that that shipping uh, that sent that shipping sense also fits well with what the prophet Ezekiel wrote about the tribe of Dan. Ezekiel twenty seven verse nine highlights Dan as a merchant tribe. One translation says uh, a merchant tribe traversing back and forth. And that certainly is the case with the Danish Maersk Company. Now, with regard to Moses describing Dan in Deuteronomy 33 as leaping from Bashan, we see, see some sort of a repeat of this as well with modern-day Denmark. You've got the country uh, essentially leaping over and taking control of the northernmost landmass on Earth, Greenland. Uh, so we have this northernmost Subtribe of ancient Israel, Dan, leaping over into Denmark. And you could say the same thing for the more modern period. Uh, Denmark leaping over about as far north as humanly possible and taking control of Greenland. Here's some uh, information about the relationship between Denmark and Sweden, because the relationship with these two is quite interesting. The 6th century historian, Jordanes, he wrote about the history of Scandinavia, and he wrote that the Dani, the Danes, were of the same stock as the Suetidi, or the Swedes. So the Dani, the same stock as the Swedes. And in our last program, we covered how the Swedish people are the tribe of Naphtali. So these certainly are are of the same Israelite stock. But it goes even further, because the tribal patriarchs Dan and Naphtali are even more closely related. Uh, these are the two sons born to Jacob by Rachel, Rachel's handmaid, Bilhah. So they are quite, quite literally of the same stock, even more so than the other Israelite tribes. 
Now, in the ancient tribal allotments of Israel, you've got that northern half-tribe of Dan situated right alongside Naphtali, right in the north of the Promised Land. And we see that as well in modern geography. We've got Denmark situated right alongside Sweden. But that closeness geographically certainly doesn't mean brotherly relations, shall we say. We're always friendly. Numerous battles have taken place between Denmark and Sweden over the past thousand years especially. Uh, These kind of weird battles in in some way have been classed as petty squabbles, uh, an odd uh, sense of cultural competition between these two nations. Uh, in some cases, fighting with little or no political reason. And again, two nations of the same stock, but embroiled in this constant brotherly, you could say, state of competition. The book of Numbers describes an early Israelite prince of Naphtali called Ahira. And this name means, my brother is evil. So perhaps even there you get a sense of that brotherly competition or some kind of strife between the brothers Dan and Naphtali. And while we're on the subject of names, the mother of Dan and Naphtali was Bilhah. And so if Dan became deified among his people as Odin, perhaps his mother did as well. There's a Nordic goddess of a name very similar to Bilhah called Bela. And perhaps this developed uh, from the mother of the Naphtalite Swedes and the Danite Danes. So we have this, this god Odin, Wodan, who was worshipped throughout Scandinavia and northern Europe, including Denmark. And if we look at ancient Israel, we can see that there were two centers of pagan worship, one in Bethel and one in the northern territory of Dan. You can read about that in 1 Kings 12, the establishment of those two pagan centers. So northern Dan then became a key custodian of pagan worship. Amos 8 references this pagan worship, specifically at Dan. Verse 14 reads, quote, They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, As your God, O Dan, lives. End quote. So it's kind of interesting to see the way that that's phrased there. Your God, O Dan, so, so uh, besides that, Dan was a, a key tribe from which paganism emanated, and we get a sense of that with Denmark as well, in a way. A, a pagan Norse mythology worshipped throughout the surrounding countries, in part worshipping the god Odin. Now back to Genesis 49. The tribe of Dan is described, again, as a serpent by the way an adder in the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider shall fall backward. So focusing on the last part of this verse, a serpent uh, that bites the horse's heels. There's some kind of peculiar Norse Viking artwork from about a thousand years ago that depicts quite closely this imagery. Horses or horse-like creatures with snakes nipping or tangling their legs. So we ask, could this tribal imagery have been preserved and brought up into Scandinavia? Was there some kind of a recognition of the uh, Scandinavian Danes perhaps fulfilling this attribute of a serpent nipping at the heels? 
uh, of the horses. The images match quite closely, and snakes are heavily featured in Viking imagery. And take out a map. It's kind of funny, uh, I just realized this, but even the geographical shape of Denmark looks remarkably like a snake's head nipping at the heels of the rival Sweden. A snake head right at the top of that Danite snake trail from the Black Sea right up into their homeland of Denmark. It's, it's pretty funny. It's, it's really a, a uncanny-looking snakehead-like country that's, that's kind of nipping toward Sweden. And then regarding snakes, you've also got one of the famous early Danish rulers uh, who was a Viking warrior named Sigurd Snake in the Eye. And he was named this Sigurd Snake in the Eye because of a defect that he had in one of his eyes that looked like a serpent. Speaking of famous Danish rulers, I'll leave you with this fun fact before we take a break. Harold Bluetooth was king of Denmark in the 10th century. He was named this because of a painfully obvious bluish-black tooth that he had. And yes, it is from this Danish king that we get our modern wireless Bluetooth technology. Uh, Bluetooth is a Danish invention, and it was named after this king. And take a look at the that jagged Bluetooth symbol, uh, perhaps on your computer or on your phone. Uh, have you ever wondered what that symbol means? I hadn't until I recently read about it. It's, it's actually the combined initials of this king, Harold Bluetooth, HB you could say, written in the ancient runic alphabet. And the runic alphabet closely resembles the ancient Israelite alphabet, which is another link to the Israelite history and migration of these Nor- Nordic nations. Now, hopefully in, in future we'll produce a separate article on runes, uh, but now, essentially, wherever you see the Bluetooth symbol, you can think of that Danish-Israelite connection. Or perhaps whenever you see a Maersk shipping container on the road, you'll think of that seafaring merchant tribe of Dan that migrated to Denmark. Well, we'll take a short break there, but when we come back, we'll briefly look at the tribe of Ishika. And then we'll wrap up by looking at the prophesied future for Israel. Stay with us. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. If you've just joined us on the radio, we're examining the modern identity of the lost Israelite tribe of Dan, the modern-day nation of Denmark, or in Danish, Danmark. We've been tracing the migration of the Danites following that 7th century Assyrian captivity up into Western Europe. And if you missed the first half of this program, you can go online to our website, watchjerusalem.co.il and check out the first part of this podcast. But now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about Finland. 
So presently, for, for these programs, we've been looking at the Israelite identity of the Nordic countries. The last time we looked at Sweden, today we've been looking at Denmark. And for the next program, we'll cover off with Norway and Iceland. But since we've got a little bit of time on this program, I want to cover off Finland as part of these Nordic countries and examine the Finnish link with the tribe of Ishika. Now, there's been some speculation as to who the tribe of Ishika represents, two identities in particular. One of them is that they are the Frisians. This is a particular ethnic group living within the Netherlands. And the other is that Ishika is Finland. Now, in our earlier program on the Netherlands as the tribe of Zebulun, we included uh, a section on uh, evidence for the Frisians as the tribe of Ishika. So for the last part of this Nordic program, we'll present the evidence for Ishika as the Finnish people, as Finland. Now Genesis 49 says of this tribe of Ishika, verse 14, quote, Ishika is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. So a strong ass or a strong donkey, mule, couching down between two burdens. Now, this pretty well describes Finland's geopolitical situation. It's sandwiched between Russia and Sweden, both of which have been historically powerful empires, both of which have fought over Finland's territory, kind of squished in between them there, and both have have variously ruled over Finland throughout history. And the the same sense of crouching down between two burdens Uh, was definitely shown in World War II. You have Finland literally stuck between a rock and a hard place, stuck between two burdens. The Russians used the war as a chance to invade Finland and try to claim it entirely for themselves. And since Russia was on the side of the Allies, Finland sided with Nazi Germany in order to repel Russia. And because of this... Britain attacked Finland for siding with Germany against the Russians who were trying to conquer Finland. And then as a result, Germany, uh, or or eventually rather, Finland had a pretty incredible uh, beating back of the Russians. They managed to fend them off, and then they broke their ties with Germany. And as a result, Germany began a campaign of destruction in Finland with a scorched earth policy. So talk about being stuck between two burdens. And even the Hebrew word burdens here, even with this word, uh, there's a potential connection here because the word burdens is also translated as ash heaps, uh, which would fit with the, the scorched earth situation that was going on in Finland during World War II. So Finland really has been a nation between two burdens, a nation historically pressured, attacked, and possessed on both shoulders by the Swedish and Russian empires, then in World War II by the German and Russian empires. Uh, A nation really fighting for survival between two burdens, between two ash heaps. Now, verse 15 says this of Ishika, quote, He bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. So this sense of being domineered by neighboring empires, becoming a servant unto tribute, again, fits, uh, fits well with Finland. Now, Karl Mannerheim was the Finnish commander-in-chief 
at, uh, during World War II, and he became the president of Finland near the end of the war. And he's widely considered as the greatest Finn of all time. There was a report of his leadership during World War II that described him giving a speech before his Finnish soldiers in which he reportedly called them, quote, sons of Ishikar. So perhaps he became aware of this identity thanks to some of the early Finnish historians. There were a number of Finnish historians who linked the heritage of their people, the Finns, to the Israelites. Now over in Deuteronomy 33, uh, the prophecy in verse 18 reads, quote, And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. So the following verse talks about the mountain and the sea. So this is terrain that, that would fit with Finland. Uh, but verse 18 highlights Issachar as rejoicing in their tents, indoors. So this would fit well with uh, a much colder co- climate. Uh, climate such as is in Finland, and that necessity of staying indoors. Now, verse 19 talks about the treasures hid in the sand. Perhaps this could be a link to Finland's famous glass industry. And then back to that word tents, the tents of Ishika. Finland is also famous for its architects, for architecture. A couple final points on the Finns. The Finnish word for father is completely different from anything else in Europe. In other nations of Europe, you've got the typical words father, vater, baba, papa, padre, etc. But in Finland, you've got a completely different word, issa. So why a such a peculiar word for father? Could it be related to the tribal father, issachar? And then the number nine seems to be of some significance in Finland. There were nine historical provinces of Finland. There were nine towns in the Grand Duchy of Finland. There are nine roses on the Finnish coat of arms, and scholars aren't sure as to why this is. But could this be another link to Issachar, the ninth son of Jacob? So that's the Finnish connection. Again, there are strong links to the Friesens of the Netherlands, as being Issacharites, and you can check out our program on that on the Netherlands as the tribe of Zebulun. But the Friesen population is a tiny population compared to the other Israelite populations around Europe. So perhaps the tribe of Issachar is both, Frisia and Finland, perhaps thanks to an earlier tribal division similar to Denmark and Ireland, as we've been covering today. And then you have one of the early Frisian kings who was called Finn, F-I-N-N, the same as the people of Finland. Uh, But anyway, for now, we'll leave it at that. But in future, we'll hopefully have some more research on that. And hopefully we'll put together an article series for these tribes, looking in more detail at, at the tribes themselves, and especially these three tricky tribes, the Issacharites, the Simeonites, and the Levites. Uh, and we'll cover the Simeonites and the Levites in a future program. But now back to Denmark and looking toward the future. What of Denmark's, uh, what of Ishikas, you could say as well, future? We've covered, uh, as we've covered on our previous programs, the Bible has a lot to say about the future of our Israelite nations today, and it's got a lot to condemn. There are over a hundred prophecies of judgment 
and destruction on our nations, on end-time Israel. And why is that? It's because our liberal Israelite societies have turned away from God and from his laws. And Denmark is no exception here. Uh, Besides its warlike Viking past, today it is famously known as a liberal nation with a a definite heavy reputation for illicit sex, drugs, and alcohol. Uh, A European guide actually names it one of the most liberal nations on earth when it comes to sex. It became the first country in the world to legalize pornography. It leads the world in a number of unmentionables. Uh, Homosexuality was legalized as far back as 1933 in Denmark. And sex education starts at a very young age. It's considered a vital part of schooling in Denmark, and it starts at the age of six. Now, Denmark is also known for their drug consumption rooms in which users bring their illegal drugs to a specially prepared area and they're permitted to take them there. Now, in 2017, 2017, uh, there was a general population survey and about half of young adults reported the use of cannabis. Half of young adults. And Denmark is also known for alcohol consumption. A public health survey revealed that about 20% of the population are heavy drinkers and 14% had harmful alcohol use. Now, of course, the stats are far higher when filtered for age and gender. Nearly 50% of males aged 15 and older are heavy episodic drinkers. Danish youth are the highest binge drinkers in Europe, the highest ranked binge drinkers in all of Europe. And a full third of 15 to 16-year-olds have been drunk in the past month, according to the World Health Organization. Now, Denmark suffered a lot in World War II, but if we look at Bible prophecy, we see that a third and final world war is prophesied, and it'll be touched off once again by a German-led Holy Roman Empire in Europe. This is talked about in numerous scriptures, like Jeremiah 30, verse 7, uh, which foretells of this event to befall our modern-day nations of Israel. This verse reads, quote, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is a time of, Jake, uh, of trouble unto Jacob. End quote. Judgment is coming upon the children of Jacob, the tribes of Israel, including the tribe of Dan. And in all of this, God is seeking repentance and humility from his people. Denmark, Dan's Mark, is a nation headed for catastrophe, and we don't have time to get into the specific prophecies on this program, but I'll leave some links to our material uh, specifically regarding Denmark on this podcast page on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il. So we see the world right now teetering on the brink And what a crazy year this has been. Tensions escalating between nations, within nations, and it's going to escalate into an all-out war beyond anything ever imagined. It's been several decades since the last world war, but you can stake your life on the fact that there will be another one. But there is a way to world peace, and world peace is prophesied, likewise prophesied, to follow 
for our humbled, repentant nations after that final Third World War. And that's what Mr. Armstrong ultimately proclaimed in his book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. That's what he proclaimed for the modern-day nations of Israel. He was known internationally as an ambassador for world peace. He met with world leaders, kings, princes, presidents, prime ministers, all over the world declaring this message. And he brought this message to Denmark, where he was met with, uh, where he met with the Speaker of the Danish Parliament, Sven Jacobsen, and he was invited to meet the Queen of Denmark. Again, I'll leave a link to an article, one of our articles on this on our website. Mr. Armstrong proclaimed the way to world peace and prosperity. That way could be followed now. But on a national level, our countries are so clearly entrenched in going the opposite way, leading to utter destruction. But individually, we do have the opportunity to respond, and there is a way of escape. Again, request our free book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, for more information on that. And then following the coming tribulation of world war, with the arrival of the Messiah, we will finally have world peace on a national and worldwide level. That's all we have time for for today's program. If you have any questions, you can email the program at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned for our next podcast on this tribes series on the modern day identity uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Next time we'll be covering the tribe of Benjamin. Thanks for joining us.